episode number 58. Rabbi Yehuda Alevi in the Kuzari says that the higher a person's spiritual madragor, the higher his level, the more pleasure he gets from eating. <laughs> Unbelievable. Welcome to the Torah Podcast. Lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the tools and inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff with this week's Torah Podcast. The Torah portion of the week is Naso, How to be balanced. The Jewish answer to whole living. We're going to have a powerful parable about the thief and the woodcutter, a great story about Rev Schwab, and peace in your home, still more on criticizing. And now, the Torah portion of the week, with novel ideas from the classic commentaries. Towards the beginning of the parsha, we have the case of the Sota. The Pusik says, Any man, if his wife shall go astray, and commit a trespass against him, and a man laid with her, but it was hidden from the eyes of her husband, and she became secluded and was defiled. But there were no witnesses. And a spirit of jealousy has passed over him, and he has warned his wife, and she has become defiled. Or a spirit of jealousy has passed over him, and he's warned his wife, and she had not become defiled. Either way, he brings his wife to the Kohen, and she has to drink the mace sota. If she cheated on her husband, the water's going to kill her, and if not, it's going to give her a blessing that she has a son. Right after that, we have the Parsha of Nazir. The Pesukim say, If a man or a woman shall set himself apart by taking a Nazarite vow from drinking wine or eating grapes, so all the time of his Nazarite vow, he shouldn't pass a razor over his head, can't cut his hair, and he can't come near to a dead person. This is talking about a person who takes the vow in order to be holy. So Rashi explains why are these two things connected. Why, right after the case of the Sota, the woman who cheated on her husband, who was brought to the Kohen, do we have the case of a man taking a vow to be a Nazir and to not drink wine, not cut his hair, and not defile himself with the dead? Because Rashi says that anyone who sees a Sota in her state of disgrace, he should take upon himself not to drink wine, because wine leads to adultery. So Rav Henek Leibowitz brings the Midrash Rabbah that speaks about the Sota, and the Kohen doing the procedure with the Sota. The Midrash says that it repeats twice. First it says, the Kohen shall bring her near and have her stand before Hashem. That's Pasuk 16. And in Pasuk 18, it also says, the Kohen should have the woman stand before Hashem and uncover the woman's hair. So the Midrash explains a couple reasons why it says before Hashem twice, but two of them are like this. One reason it says before Hashem, because maybe the Kohen's gonna feel bad that he's gonna have to uncover this woman's hair He's going to feel debased himself. And therefore it says before Hashem to tell the Kohen that it's a mitzvah what he's doing. And another reason is because maybe the Kohen is going to have thoughts about this woman. Improper thoughts. So the verse says before Hashem that the Kohen should have your Shemayim. He should have fear of God. So Rav Leibowitz says, isn't this a contradiction? On one side, he's going to feel bad because he has to go through this whole process. And at the same time, he can have thoughts about the woman. So here we see the nature of man. Yes, even a Kohen standing in the base of Migdash, doing this process with this woman who disgusts him because she cheated on her husband. Even he can have thoughts about her, immoral thoughts. So from here we learn how much a person has to guard himself. Every human being is susceptible to such a thing, God forbid. Revolbi goes on to explain. You may ask, why does a person have to become a Nazir and not drink wine just because he saw this woman? What does it have to do with me? 
What does her sins have to do with me? And he answers, yes, if it happened to her, it could happen to you. It could happen to any human being who doesn't guard himself. And these things don't happen right away. They evolve over time. First, the man and woman start to talk to each other, see each other here and there, flirting, and then who knows what happens. So a person has to be very careful to guard himself, to not even get close to such a thing. Because you don't know, God forbid, to where it could lead. And this is why Rav Moshe Feinstein explains that the verse says, whether she defiled herself or whether she didn't defile herself, if he had a spirit of jealousy, either way, he has to bring his wife to the base of Migdash. Why? Because the problem has to be taken care of. What was she doing isolated with this guy? Okay, she didn't defile herself. But what was she isolated with the guy for? Just for that, you have to bring her to the base of Migdash. Because we are commanded to protect ourselves. It's not enough just not to do this sin. We also have to protect ourselves from doing sins. And any man who saw this woman get her hair uncovered by the coin really should become a Nazir. He should separate himself and try to purify himself. Stop Nazirs for 30 days. So he should at least become a Nazir for 30 days. So Rav Schwab brings the Zohars and says like this, Why is a Nazir, who is forbidden to drink wine, also forbidden to eat grapes? Why a Kohen, who is forbidden to drink wine before performing the Avod? In other words, a Kohen cannot work in the base of Migdash if he drank wine. But still, he can eat grapes? So the Zohar answers, This is an exalted secret. But let it be known that the tree which Adam Arishon sinned with was the grapevine. According to the Zohar, which tree did Adam eat from? He ate from the grapes. So now, Rabbi Schwab explains that this Nazir is going to make the tikkun for Adam Rishon. He's going to fix up the sin of the original man. Why? Because what happened? The original man, he had to tell him Elohim. He was in the form, a godly form. And since he gave into his pleasures, he lost his godly form, became more like an animal. And now by becoming a Nazir, this man is overcoming his desires, and he's bringing back the Selim Elohim, the godly form that every man has inherently. He brings the Evan Ezra who explains, this is unbelievable. He, bling, he brings the Evan Ezra who explains on this Pasuk, it says, A man who shall do something wondrous, Ish or Isha, Kiafli, Lindor Nedir Nazir, Pele, he does something that's wondrous. It says, when a person makes this Nedir, the Shavua to become a Nazir, he's doing something wondrous. What's wondrous? He's overcoming his nature. He's not going in the way of most people. So therefore, since he just saw a Sota, he just saw a woman who defiled herself, and she lost her Selim Elohim, now this guy is going to become a Nazir to bring the Selim Elohim, the form of God, back into the world. He's going to do the Tikkun that she messed up. He's going to fix up by becoming a Nazir. And the Shem Mishmu explains that this Nazir, which includes not drinking wine, not cutting the hair, and not having contact with the dead, corresponds to thought, speech, and action. Not cutting the hair, it's the hair on the head. That has to do with thoughts. Drinking wine has to do with speech. The Gemara Reuven says, when wine goes in, secrets come out. You drink wine, all of a sudden your mouth loosens up a little bit. And not touching the dead has to do with action, the physical. So he's metakin, he fixes these three areas in man. The area of thought, speech, and action. So we see from all of this that the Nazir is becoming a holy person. But the question is, is the Nazir doing the right thing or the wrong thing? Why? We have Chazals telling us the opposite. Rev Dessler brings down, on one side we see the word Nazir means crown. It's like he crowned himself by becoming holy. He's even greater than the high priest. 
On the other hand, we have a Gemara that says that Nazar is a sinner. Why? Because he denied himself wine. He's a sinner. In one place, we have the Tanit de Be'eliyahu that says, rather than praying that Torah should enter his mind, one should pray that tasty delicacies do not enter his body. On the other hand, we have a Yushamwi that says, one who have to face judgment for everything his eye sees that he did not eat. We also have a Gemara that says that Rebbe swore on his deathbed that he had not enjoyed this world even as much as a little finger. Yet we have another Gemara that says, Whoever undertakes a voluntary fast is called a sinner. We have a Gemara in Gin that says, Withdraw your hand from the meal you enjoy most. And we have a Gemara in Brachos that says, The world is given to human beings to enjoy after making the appropriate blessing. So what's going on here? On one side, we know that a person has to be holy and he has to separate himself from sin. On the other side, we have many Chazals telling us that this world was created for our enjoyment. And Adarab, if we don't enjoy ourselves, that itself is a sin. So Rav Dester explains that if a person feels that he's falling down, so that person has to pick himself up and he has to separate himself from pleasures. But if a person's holding in a good place, just the opposite. The pleasures are going to give him even more gratitude to thank Hashem and strengthen his worship of God. Listen to this. Rav Yehuda Levi in the Kuzari says, that the higher a person's spiritual madragor, the higher his level, the more pleasure he gets from eating. <laughs> Unbelievable. Why? Because the higher his spiritual level, the more he appreciates what God has given him. He enjoys the food even more. He sees the blessing in what he has. So we see it's all a question of balance. We have to know when and where. But God doesn't expect us to be an angel. And Rav Hirsch explains that even the Nazir is not trying to be an angel. He says by the Nazir, This is not physical isolation. It's not a hermit's life in the wilderness. It's a mental and spiritual isolation with God. In the midst of the bustle of everyday life. Jews don't separate ourselves from the world. God created us to be part of the world. He continues. He seeks to withdraw into himself. To sink into himself. He does not want to detach himself from the world physically. Rather, he wants to work on himself spiritually and morally. Just because we can work on a morality doesn't mean we're separating ourselves from the world. He says human society has two elements. Moral freedom and physical compulsion. For the synthesis of these two elements, the physical and the moral, is what makes a human being a human being. Partial withdrawal from human society can help a person devote himself more fully, more fully to his moral freedom. However, it can just as easily lead him to concern himself primarily with his physical needs. For the nausea withdraws from social contact and abstains from wine which gladdens the heart because he seeks to attain closest to God through inwardness of spiritual and moral refinement. But this effort, primarily directed inward, does not reflect a permanent state. Its whole purpose is to educate. His temporary withdrawal from society is so that afterwards he could dedicate himself with double force, with more force to serve God. So we see from this the idea of Jewish spirituality is really balance. We're physical and we're spiritual. We don't try to get rid of our physical, cut it off. We have to work in harmony with the physical and spiritual together. So the question is, how do we really do this? So the Svas Emes explains, Hashem gives us the power to cling to His presence, which is in all things. In other words, we have a capacity to see godliness within the physical. And that's what the Svas Emes explains, what it means as a pella. This Nazar, he's a wonder. What do you mean a wonder? 
The commentaries explain it means mechushesh, lam hidden. It's our capacity to connect with the ruchlius, with the spirituality, even though we're involved in the physical world. That's the pele, it's a wonder. It's the wonder of the Jews, actually. This is what separates Jewish spirituality from all the other religions. For us, it's all about the spirituality within this world. We say brachas on food. We have families and wives and children. Shabbos, we eat food. Yom Tov. But the point is that we have to keep the Selim Elohim, the Tzura of what a man is, the way that God created us. We have a holy form, and that's our measuring stick. That's how we know if we are falling below that level, so then we have to shape ourselves up. On the other hand, we don't have to go beyond that level. We don't have to become like an angel. We have to be a human being, and that's what God created us to be, a human being who has a holy form, who was formed in God's image. And that's why this man who saw that woman with her hair uncovered, he has the potential to fall. So he has to become a Nazar to shape himself up. But on the other hand, we see if you go too far with that, so the Nazar is called a sinner. And if you don't get pleasure from this world, you're called a sinner. And all those things that Reb Dessler said, I just want to end off with Reb Noam Elimelech. It brings a Gemara on Yoma that says like this, very strange. The reason why Shaul's reign did not continue was due to the fact that he was perfect and flawless. You got to hear this. In other words, his reign ended because he was perfect and flawless. What does that mean? We know that Shaul was commanded to kill Amalek and all of the animals and destroy everything. But he couldn't bring himself to kill the animals. And what happened? Through magic... They made themselves to the animals, and that's why we still have Amalek today. That would have been the end of them. If he would have killed the animals, they would all be gone. So why couldn't he kill the animals? Because he felt it was a sin. Why should he destroy all the animals? He couldn't bring himself to do it. It was beyond him. Ah, but God commanded him to do it. So in a certain sense, it was a vera lishma. In other words, he felt it was a sin. He knew it was a sin. He was commanded to do it. And even though in his world it was a sin, he should have done it. But he couldn't bring himself. Why? Because he was perfect and flawless. Because of his righteousness, he couldn't do anything wrong. Even if God is telling him to do it. So why? Because of that. Okay, that's a sin. It's true. But why? Because of that, he lost his reign. Because in order to be a king, you can't be perfect and flawless. You have to be a human being. You have to be like the rest of the people. The Pasuk says that Shaul... From his shoulders up, he was taller than anyone in the nation. He was bigger than everyone. He was above them. But part of the job of the king is to bless the people. He explains that the word shoulder means shechem, from yashkim, Avram woke up in the boker, which is a chesed. The king has to bless the people. But since this king, Shaul, was so much above the people, he was on such a different, higher level, he can no longer be king. Because he couldn't do anything wrong, even if God told him to do something wrong. He was completely disconnected from what it was like to be really a human being. He was on the level of a, of a malach, like an angel. And that's not what God wants from us. God wants us to be human beings. With families and children. And eating food on Shabbos. But everything in the proper time, in the proper place, like a mensch, with the right form, and that's what a Selim Alakim, that's what it means that a man is in the image of God. He's a man in the image of God. 
And this is the beauty of Judaism. Such a beautiful religion, a healthy religion, a wholesome religion, a balanced religion, a religion that was made for us. Here is a powerful parable to open your mind and help you reach your potential. The Magid Maduma brings the verse. It says like this. Speak to the Bnei Yisrael and say to them, if a man or a woman sets apart a vow. So the Midrash says, a person shouldn't think that it's permitted to take an oath or swear in the name of Hashem. Who is allowed to do so? Only one who fears God. Not just anybody can take a vow, ah, but sometimes an evil person actually wants to take a vow to fix himself up, but he's not allowed. So this is explained with the Masha, with the parable. One time there was a poor woodcutter and a thief. So the daughters of the woodcutter became of age, and each one he married off in a decent way. So the thief said to him, I don't understand, you hardly make any money. How do you have money to marry off your daughters like this? So he explained to him, each time a daughter was born, I would make a wooden box, a little hole in it, and I'd get a lock and I'd lock it. And then I'd keep putting money into the box. And I wouldn't open it. At the end, what I would do, just before the wedding, I would get a locksmith to open up the box. And then i have all the money for the wedding. So the thief said to him, that's good for you, but that's not going to work for me. Even if I make myself a box and I put a lock on it and I throw away the key, I'll still be able to open the box because I'm a thief. I know how to break locks. So too here. If there's a God-fearing person and he makes a vow, so he's going to keep the vow just like he keeps the rest of the Torah. But if an evil person makes a vow, he's going to break the vow just like he breaks the rest of the Torah. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. One time the yeshiva in Web Schwab's community was in horrible debt. They owed almost a million dollars. And they haven't paid, they didn't pay the teachers for months. So Web Schwab saw this as bringing tremendous shame on the community. So he called on one of the wealthy Balabati and he said to him, I'm the rabbi of the Kehillah. I'm supposed to represent Torah Vederech Eretz, means proper behavior. So where's the proper behavior here? I can't even pay the teachers. It's a terrible disgrace. Soon I'm going to have to give accounting before Rabbeinu Shalom, before the master of the world. He was already old. What am I going to say when I get there? I'm going to be yes. What did you do to pay the teachers? I'm afraid I'm going to be going to Gehanim for this. Please take me out of Gehanim, he says to the Balabas. So the Balabas was taken back for a few moments. But then he thought about it. He said to him, I will make weekly installments until the amount is paid up. It took a number of months. And the last payment was made on the Friday before the Rav passed away. This is not only a story about a great rabbi, but it's also a story about a great balabas. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. Rav Simka Cohen says you should restrict your complaints. Even though if a husband has a lot of problems with what's going on in his house, he shouldn't be complaining all day. One time there was his husband who was complaining the wife is always cleaning the house. But not only that, he complained what she did first. For sometimes she would do the candles and the lights and there'd be stuff, other stuff, the kids' toys all over the floor and she'd be doing the candles. So he used to complain about everything. So explain, you're encroaching on your wife's domain and you're attacking your wife's judgment. Because once you tell her the priority of what should be cleaned, so you're telling her she's making the raw judgment. You should limit it just to the toys on the floor, for example. Sometimes a critical spouse says things like, oh, you do this because your parents did it that way. Or you do it because you feel inadequate. Or you do it because your friend told you to do it. 
So if you say those things, it may not be true, it may be true, it may not be true. But many times it's not true, and therefore the person is not going to listen to you. You should stick to the behavior itself and don't give reasons why the person's doing it. In religious houses, you also have complaints that the other one is not keeping the halacha, they're not keeping the law. So you have to be very careful to, not to say it in an insulting matter. You should say things, I think we're supposed to do it like this. If we do it this way, we'll avoid any halachic problems. So Chazal tells us three things a man should say when he, before he leaves the house on Erev Shabbos. Did you take tithes? Did you make the Erev? And did you light the lamp? So Rav Barakana said, you should say these things mildly so that the family will accept them what they say. So that the family will accept them. Rav Ashi says, I never heard this saying before, but I always did it because it was a matter of common sense. And the Marashor explains that surely Rav Ashi's family would have listened to him no matter which way he said it. But the rule is you have to speak pleasantly and mildly. And especially when it comes to religion, because people like to rebel. If you tell somebody what to do, they're going to say, I'm dafka, I'm specifically not doing it like that. You're not going to tell me what to do. And also you have levels. For example, if a man says to his wife, you're not covering your hair properly, if he doesn't go to every minion, she's going to say back to him, well, you don't go to every minion. So who are you to criticize if you yourself are not keeping all the laws? And there's certain things you should never criticize. For example, physical appearance, basic character, and ethnic and family background. And also things that, they, that your spouse said about themselves. Because usually if your spouse told you something that they feel bad about themselves, it's a time of closeness. So if you say back to them, yeah, you're like this, you're going to destroy the intimacy. And don't be too petty. Don't complain about every detail because you're going to make yeush in your spouse. You're going to give up. You're going to say, anyway, there's no winning. He's never going to be happy. She's never going to be happy. So why should I even try? If you're overcritical, it's going to create real problems because the whole dynamic of the relationship changes. The other person is going to hope you don't show up at night. Not only that, it really affects your children because your children are also going to learn this behavior to be super critical. And if you continue in that way, so your spouse is going to say, they're going to think, I wish I was married to somebody else. And that's the worst. And if you have a hypercritical spouse, you don't feel free in your own house. You feel like you're walking on eggs in your own house. So how do you deal with this? So he brings Rev Hutner, who explains in the Gemara and Titus, but even if all the winds in the world come and blow on a reed, it will not be moved from its place. So Rufutner explains, its flexibility is its success. Bending over is not a gesture of helplessness, but just the opposite, a gesture of superior strength. The quality of power through the medium of weakness. In other words, if you're constantly being criticized, the best solution to that problem is not to answer back. And this way you leave the ball in the other person's hands and they have to deal with it. Okay, that's it for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it with your friends and please leave comments on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Torah Podcast. Just visit RabbiMeterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments.